Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. A couple of years ago, a cop was shot dead on a deserted pier in the tiny nation of Belize. The only other person there that night was a frightened young woman found covered in blood. By all appearances, it was an open and shut case. But not in Belize, where this woman was connected to a mysterious billionaire who basically runs the place. Justice will not be served in this case. She's going to get away with it. Or will she? White Devil, a Campside Media original. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, I need you to pay close attention to this message. It is not an ad. This is about Canada land and this is about you. You need to know that the news crisis is about to get a lot worse. You've heard about the layoffs. We're about to have news closures. And it's very likely that we're going to be seeing the defunding of the CBC. Where are you going to get your information from? What can you do about this? You can support Canada Land. We need you to. And so for this month and this month only, you can become a Canada Land supporter and get everything our supporters get for just $2 a month. That is an almost 80% discount. The clock is ticking on this. It disappears at the end of the month, and then we will not offer it. We need your support. We need to keep news coverage alive in Canada. Go right now to canadaland.com join. And thank you. This episode is brought to you by the Center for Addiction and Mental Health, CAMH. It's never an easy call with so many problems in the world to know where to direct the money that you donate when you want to help out in this world. But what I can tell you is that when you donate to CAMH, you're saving lives. We know about the opioid crisis. We know about the mental health crisis. They are doing the work. Help change mental health care forever. Your support will help CAMH build a future where no one is left behind. Donate at CAMH.ca slash CanadaLand to help us treat addiction and build hope. Hey, you now have the fantastic opportunity to pay for free stuff like this podcast. Give us five bucks a month and uh, that'll help us make all of our podcasts and we'll give you ad-free Canada Land in return. Just click on the link in the show notes or go to canadalandshow.com slash join. It's how we do this. Thank you. Manisha Krishnan, Senior Editor at Vice. Welcome. Hi, Jesse. Manisha, today we're going to talk about the ongoing saga of Sir John A. Macdonald. He's gone from shit-faced to headless. It actually was the first thing I thought of when I uh, found out we were going to talk about him was how drunk he used to get. <laughs> talk about failing <laughs> up. He just like, ran this country drunk. <laughs> My favorite is when he, he was giving a campaign speech and he vomited. And everyone was like shocked. And he said, that's what I think of my opponent. (laughs) Which you have to respect. Uh, And (laughs) Global News follows up a promise to do better on racism in the newsroom by firing people who complained about racism in the newsroom. That was your scoop, Manisha. I wish it was ours. It's good to have you here. Good to be here. Okay, this episode of Shortcuts is brought to everybody by Jenny Becker, Emma Ritchie, Courtney Fleury, Russell McDonald, Shanaz Kermali, Colleen Bowe, Foon Yap, and Alan. 
Hey everyone, my name is Alan. I'm currently a student living in Edmonton, soon to be moving to Montreal. But no matter where I am, I support Canada Land because they provide critical media coverage, especially in light of recent events like the We Charity scandal and the reckonings around racial injustice. It's important now more than ever that we hold power subordinate to principle, and I'm really grateful for everything Canada Land does to that end. Thanks. Vandals toppled a statue of Sir John A. Macdonald in downtown Montreal over the weekend. Those kinds of acts of vandalism are not advancing uh, the path towards greater justice and equality in this country. Manisha, did you see that statue come down? I did. I think that was my favorite part of the whole story because I feel like there's some sort of ASMR happening just watching it topple to the ground. It was quite satisfying. It wasn't even a toppling. It was like it the, the, the body did like a spin and then it lands on the head and keeps spinning and then the head pops up. The head yeah. of Johnny McDonald pops up and like spins like four times in the air and then bounces on the, it was very dramatic. It was a Canadian heritage moment. I want like a 1500 word oral history of that moment. <laughs> <laughs> so everybody's talking about this incident. Like there's some things that like, you know that the prime minister has to say, we we're, we live in a society of laws. Like, you know, like that's not sh surprising or shocking to the people saying that they are like, shocked and offended by this uh, disparagement of Sir John A. Macdonald's history. It's not that I disagree with you. I mean, I do. I would disagree with that. But I, I've never met a Canadian who really I, I've believed cared. Yeah. <laughs> like, who gives a shit about Sir John A. Macdonald? I, I don't get I mean, even just the reverence for statues and that kind of thing. It's just not something that I can get behind. Like, I don't I don't know if it's because I'm a lapsed Catholic. I just don't have that reverence. I, I find it hard to be offended. I, I find it hard to believe that people are truly offended. I know that some people have this take of like, look, if you're going to go and judge people from that era by today's standards, everyone's a racist. And it's like, no, Sir John A. Macdonald was like a super racist even by the like, yeah, we don't have to do this whole thing. But like he deliberately starved the First Nations of the Plains to make way for the railway. He killed like a third of them deliberately. He's a mega racist. He was a mega racist back then. Yeah. So, you know, I can understand why people don't want to have him like literally on a pedestal looming over Oh, a hundred percent. And when I said that, you know, I don't really get why people are offended. To be clear, I meant by the statue coming down. Oh no, that was clear. I got okay. you there. <laughs> a lot of people rushed to the defense of this. Uh, Steve Pakin, amongst others, wrote a piece about uh, Sir Johnny McDonald and he's a complicated figure. And you know, he's often gets a bad rap for things that he didn't do that people think he did. He did plenty. But there's this whole other justification that people said, like, it's not that I defend Sir Johnny McDonald. A lot of people said, Jesse, we live in a society of laws and it's the lawlessness of this that offends me. They didn't go through the proper channels to have the statue removed. This was like a braying mob exacting, you know, some sort of vigilante justice on this piece of metal. And, and that is something we should all be very concerned about. And 
You know what? The, it always comes back to this. It always comes back to the prime minister and other people kind of saying, well, this is the wrong way to create change. This is the wrong way to protest. You know, Trudeau has said the same thing on drug policy. I mean, I, you know, covered the weed beat for a long time and we, we confronted him about the racial injustices there. And his answer was very similar. It was, well, you have to abide by the laws that exist now, but we're going to make things a lot more fair in the future. And guess what? C cannabis is legal now. It's run by, you know, many former politicians, rich white men. And the government has only pardoned maybe a couple hundred people out of thousands of people who have convictions. So, I mean, is Trudeau really going to follow through on showing us the right way to do things, the right way to combat racism? He certainly has had plenty of time. I'm all for protests, but not this kind of protest. It's always by people who I think are actually not okay with protest. I'm I'm not like a protester. Like I'm 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 I think a lot more similar to just sort of mainstream Canadians were like. I don't like to be in a big group of people. I don't like to shout slogans. And I, I think that the news is often written by people like me who just feel like protesting is sort of weird and radical and wrong. I don't feel that it's wrong, but I think it's by people who don't participate in it. And with an intended or imagined audience of people who like, almost as if you're like reporting on like uh, some animal that's escaped from the zoo. Like here's what happened today in the city without any kind of conception of like protesting is something that citizens, your readers are protesting. And it's getting increasingly common for people to take to the streets and protest. You know, they did it after Trump, uh, the women's march, they did it on mass black lives matter. It's not some weird exotic activity, but we're always taking this position of like, I'm okay with it in theory. I don't do it myself, but I'm okay with it in theory. As long as like nobody breaks a window or, you know, leaves a mess. Like this protest with the Sir John A. Macdonald statue coming down was a non-violent protest. Nobody got hurt and they were incredibly effective. Like, I'm not going to tell them you're doing a bad job of protesting. This has made headlines across the country. Exactly. We're talking about it right now. And I think what frustrates some people is... The fact that you'll have these same characters come out and condemn the type of protesting, but those people really don't have much to say when we're just talking about racism. They are not really up in arms about that. They don't have any solutions. They're not really trying to work on that issue. But once people protest in a way that offends their, you know, sensibility, then they'll, you know, write a 700 think piece for the National Post or whoever. Yeah, that's a good point. And in fact, it was pointed on Twitter. If what you're mad about is the vandalism, well, the uh, Osoyoos indigenous band had a pictograph defaced with racist, uh, racist vandals destroyed. And this isn't just some honorific symbol. This was a piece of history. This was an actual ancient pictogram and it was destroyed. That's a, an obscure news story that we did not write headlines about. I want to be clear, though, like the distinction between why are you mad about the Sir John A. Macdonald statue and not about this other thing, we can say that's because you're racist. Like you're pretending to be mad about the rule of law, but really it's it's a racist double standard. The truth is most people don't even know about the vandalism of the indigenous pictogram. I think it's more like a cause for reflection as to like, why does this one bother you so much? I mean, you know, yes, you can only get offended by things you know about, but I also think that when people know about both things, it's the one that's happening with with a angry, loud group of people downtown Montreal. That's the one that like, it, it does hit a nerve with people. And I think people should like wonder why that bugs them so much. It was reported by CTV and uh, in a Canadian press wire story that no arrests were made. We received tips here at Canada Land that there were protesters taken away in handcuffs. 
So it's unclear to us whether or not like the reporters just didn't see the arrests or I suppose it's possible that protesters were detained but not arrested, which actually seems newsworthy unto itself. But this idea that the cops just didn't give a shit and watched it, we're receiving eyewitness accounts to the contrary. There is opportunity here to examine the Canadian sensitivity and fragility around law and order and keeping the peace. Because the truth is, this kind of protest, besides the fact that we're talking about it, is incredibly effective. It's incredibly effective as political theater, as symbolism. It's incredibly effective if you just don't want these statues looming over you again. I think that if they put up another Sir Johnny McDonald where the last one stood, it'll get taken down too. And they won't be doing that for very long. Well, would the coverage around this protest have lasted as long as it did if they hadn't toppled that statue? You know, I'm not sure it would have gone as viral as it did. Yeah, it worked really well. It actually works well for both sides because then you have Jason Kenney saying, send us the statue, we'll put it up, which I think is nothing but Jason Kenney, Premier of Alberta, signaling his virtue. Like that is... <laughs> <laughs> that, that so you know it's it's uh it's it's a hot potato that i guess could be used by both sides flexing yeah i'm just sort of thinking back to trudeau's statement and it it very much rings as hollow to me so i don't know how well his statement is really playing for him it's insurance he can't seem to be on the side of that it's it's he's not taking a firm stand you know i feel like conservatives are going to have a hard time if they're going to run on kind of a trumpian law and order against these barbarians at the gate of civility who are going to turn our streets into, you know, uh, I don't know if that's going to play in Canada. We'll see. This episode is sponsored by BetterHelp. Uh, it's amazing the things that we tell ourselves to talk ourselves out of getting help. Anybody who's actually gotten help knows that the process of getting things off your chest, of taking your stressors, your problems, and just like not letting them be bottled up, working through just conveying them to somebody, half of the battle is just doing that. You unburden yourself. And you know what? If you have a real mental health professional, no, they don't have magic bullets or magic words that make it all go away. But often they can help you see things a little bit differently and guide you to strategies or tools or to a new perspective that actually does Help. As the largest online therapy provider in the world, BetterHelp can provide access to mental health professionals with a wide variety of expertise in mental health. Because you listen to this podcast, you get 10% off of your first month at betterhelp.com slash CanadaLand. That's betterhelp.com slash CanadaLand. This episode is brought to you by the Center for Addiction and Mental Health, CAMH. We hear a lot about the opioid crisis. We talk a lot about the mental health crisis. These are serious problems. These problems affect us all. They've affected my life and my community. They're not intractable problems. I don't know what's going to solve them on a policy level, but day-to-day -day helping people, that's what CAMH does. They do it on the ground when people need help, and they do it through research. The team at CAMH gave our team a tour of their facilities, and we were really just blown away by the incredible heroic work that they're doing every day. They treat everyone with dignity and their research is seeking and finding real solutions for everyone around the world. Help change mental health care forever. Your support will help CAMH build a future where no one is left behind. Donate at camh.ca slash CanadaLand to help CAMH treat addiction and build hope. Manisha, you've been here before, though it's been a minute. But you've been here before. Yeah, it's been a while. So you know that when things don't get the attention they deserve, 
we bring justice to those wrongs by duly noting them. And then it's just cured. Everything is good and set right. Manisha, what do you have? So this is something that was pointed out by Robert Jago on Twitter, and it was in reference to a CBC story about the uh, teenage gunman who killed two people in Kenosha, Wisconsin. So I guess in the story, CBC used the term citizen gunman. It said Trump defends citizen gunman arrested in killings of two people. And so Robert Jago pointed out, you know, this is an odd term, citizen gunman. And I thought that was worth noting because I also have not heard of that term before. Um, I don't really know what that means, considering that, you know, a citizen is anyone really who lives in a place. Um, But I, I will say that the word citizen sort of has this connotation of nobility to it, you know, like a citizen's arrest. Whereas maybe a term like vigilante would have been more appropriate or like cop loving gunman or, you know, there's other, I think, adjectives that might have been more accurate to this case. I saw that CBC News calling him a citizen gunman. It almost sounds cool, like like a TV show, citizen gunman. That is bonkers. You're absolutely right that it, it, it does have the effect of like legitimizing him. But of course, every criminal is a citizen. You're like citizen pedophile, citizen serial killer to actually describe him that way in a news story. And the news story is about Trump defending him. So it does feel like a big concession to this kind of image rehabilitation effort that is around this. I don't know. It seems like a murderer to me. He shot somebody in the back. Yeah, he's an alleged murderer. um, And that alleged double murder would have been, you know, a more appropriate term, probably. Yeah. Yeah, that sucks. Duly noted. I would like to duly note that a member of parliament seems to believe that there's a secret cabal of Jews led by George Soros trying to establish a new world order. No, that's an overstatement. Uh, No, Carrie Lynn Finley merely expressed her concern. Carrie Lynn Finley, member of parliament for South Surrey White Rock, tweeted this thing that's been going around right-wing Twitter where, ooh, Christia Freeland and George Soros having a conversation. And people are remarking like, oh, she looks like she's just in such adulation of him. She was a journalist interviewing George Soros, which, but I don't even want to play into like, oh, what is her dynamic with George Soros? Because I don't want to accept that there's something, this scary boogeyman, a uh, globalist George Soros that we're supposed to be so afraid of. To have a member of parliament tweeting, as Carrie Lynn Finley did, this is George Soros with Canada's new finance minister a few years ago, listening carefully to him like student to teacher. The closeness of these two should alarm every Canadian. Like, can you imagine if, if the people that you interview later are like, there's Manisha Christian with Justin Trudeau. The closeness of this should alarm us all. Like, that's like some kind of guilt by us. The whole thing is just, for anyone to say something like that is anti-Semitic and stupid. To see this infecting our elected leaders, she later apologized, is super gross. It's very troubling to see sort of the mainstreaming of these conspiracy theories in in politics. And it's, yeah, it's not even limited to here, but it is very troubling. Duly noted. Manisha, you had this incredible story about, I mean, the global news stuff has been brewing for a while. 
it kind of it has become hard to keep track because the, the 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 racial reckoning across newsrooms in America and Canada. But the global news one started a while ago. And maybe the best thing I can do is just hand it over to you to take me through what it is that you reported last week. Sure. So my story was allegations of systemic racism at Chorus Entertainment, which is Global News's parent company, as well as Global News. Um, in a nutshell, I had 12 different sources, some who were former employees uh, and some who are current employees who, you know, alleged a number of things, including retaliation for speaking out. In one case, one of my sources was called into HR to discuss how they made white people uncomfortable by criticizing things that were happening inside of global tone-deaf coverage. And some of the most vocal critics who were really pushing for change, who were confronting managers, who were sending emails, setting up meetings, they were laid off in this big restructuring and Global's sort of line around that restructuring was, we are shifting to objective journalism. We're shifting to fact-based journalism. Now, some of the people that they laid off were really trying to amplify the voices of racialized people. You know, they were doing investigations into police, violence against women. And so a lot of people inside Global who I talked to said that some of those people who were laid off were really bearing the brunt of the sort of quote unquote race coverage within that newsroom. So that is kind of in a nutshell what the story was, but there were... You know, there were many different allegations, some of just overt racism and some a lot more, you know, subtle. On Monday's show, we brought up the one story about how Global had, you know, the BLM protests as experienced by white Canadians living in the States and how this was causing them discomfort. A lot of people at Global were like, what the fuck was that? And brought it up to management. There were other things, though, from like the social team, like there was one employee who was asked to make a meme taking Childish Gambino's This Is America video and taking the gun out of Childish Gambino's hand and putting a bouquet of flowers in it and then having a meme that said, this is Canada. Yeah. That one stood out to me. And he's like, no. Like, I mean, really, it wasn't even like an act of defiance against, like, he was trying to save Global from themselves. This is why you want to have a diverse group of employees. So somebody tells you, don't do that stupid thing. Yeah, Chorus, Chorus denied that ever happened. Um, there was another allegation around an employee who was asked to meme the Colin Kaepernick Nike ad. And... He said that he refused to do so and that his boss threatened to fire him when he sort of subtweeted about that request. By memeing it, like turning into some kind of a shareable social asset that would be promoting global? I don't think the conversation even got that deep. This is according to my source, but his response to his boss was, I don't think that we should be making light of this ad in any way when we don't normally weigh in on you know, race issues. Uh, because this is the entertainment side of global. This was not global news. Right. There's a lot of this stuff, and people should read your reporting to get all of it. And and some of it is just stuff that you don't see in the actual content. Some of it is people being hauled in for meetings or being disciplined for, for this or that, and there's racial aspects to it. You bring up something that I think is really interesting, which is that when global did get rid of a bunch of people, they used this, you know, and it's sort of in the air right now. Um, how do you legitimize the layoffs that are happening? Well, we're focusing on real news, hard news. Well, where did all of the coverage of racial issues lie? I mean, this is purely by Global's own categorization. They put that in the lifestyle bucket. So then they can say we're focusing on hard news. I mean, what is a bigger news story, hard news story in the summer of 2020 
than what's happening in terms of race. But if you put that in your lifestyle bucket, you could say, well, we're getting rid of that soft stuff. So all of this stuff is kind of evolving over weeks and months and you know years. And then it's happening concurrently with what's going on in media, which is they had a 24% drop in their revenue and there was widespread layoffs. That's interesting too, because there's the wage subsidy, which I'm mm-hmm. sure they're taking, you know, like that's- And they did. They did get, you know, millions of dollars. I I believe it's like $17 million for uh-huh. the wage subsidy. So it's, yeah, I think a lot of places are using the pandemic as an excuse to do layoffs that are more about the fact that their businesses are failing for other reasons. And uh, it's, an, it's a convenient time to get rid of people. And your most recent stories had to do with the fact that among those laid off were, was it eight of the people who signed the open letter? It was six people who had basically signed an internal email condemning that piece you mentioned before about the George Floyd protests and how it was, you know, written from a white Canadian point of view. So 12 people wrote an email and they had a series of phone calls, which I ended up getting recordings of, and half of those people essentially were laid off. I mean, that sounds really bad that Global's saying, we're going to try to do better earlier when these issues were raised, and then a bunch of the people who asked them to do better are you know, fired, laid off, however you want to put it. But they were a small group of people amongst a large number of people laid off. I suppose Global could argue this wasn't retribution. This is just an unfortunate, like, you know, this touched everyone. There were layoffs for people who had nothing to do with this. Is, is that their position? Well, the thing is, Jesse, they haven't been transparent about how many people they actually laid off. And so we don't know. I've tried to find that out. I've tried to find that out, obviously, from my sources as well as from the company itself. And I really was only able to track down 22 people who were laid off. So was this restructuring as big as, you know, it's been made out to be? I don't know. Do you have reason to believe that there was an element of retribution? What I can say is that a lot of the people who spoke to me spoke of a culture of retribution and spoke of one source in particular said that they had raised issues within the company. They had been told they would get a job. They were on a contract and that when it came time for that job, they were passed over for a white woman. Mm hmm. And you actually had the hiring employee defending themselves and saying why they like that's very rare. Like an employer is not really supposed to talk about why you hired one person and why the other person wasn't qualified. They did go. They, they went there on the record. Yeah. His, his name's Kevin Buffett. He said, I remember what you're talking about. And he said, we chose this other person because they had a better performance in the interview. Uh-huh. And I asked him if anything had happened to him because there was a number of allegations about his behavior And he told me that although he had been laid off, he was still working with Global on a transition plan. And he told me that Global had said to him that there may be a future for him in the new structure. In terms of repercussions for management, you did have some stuff to report there as well. Oh, yes, I did. Um, So the day after my investigation was published, Jill Kropp, who is the BC news director for Global, announced that she's resigning at the end of September. She did come up in my story. A number of employees were concerned about the way that she handled 
a blackface joke last year when Trudeau was going through the whole blackface scandal. Mo Dhaliwal basically went on a segment. He's, he's a diversity speaker. He went on a segment. He overheard a blackface joke. He brought it up during the segment. Global decided to spike that segment. They never aired it. And when Mo called it out, Jill Crop invited him on to talk about it. And, you know, at that point, she was saying things like she was sort of accusing him of being slow to respond to them. She was saying things like you didn't accept our apologies, you know, asking him, well, what would you do to solve this? You know, a lot of global employees said that they found her tone to be very defensive and very much in the spirit of protecting the brand as opposed to being accountable. Now, when you tweeted that, like, right after I, uh, you know, I, Manisha Krishnan, reported the story about these layoffs at Global, now Jill Crop is out. I think there's a strong suggestion there that she's out because of that, that she is taking the fall on, on the behalf of management, that she is the one who is responsible. It was unclear to me what she had to do with that long list of offenses on the part of Global Management or why she would be the fall person for that. Is that clear to you? I do think that's a fair question. I can't directly say that Jill Crop is resigning in light or because of my investigation, but I'm curious to see if anything else shakes up at Chorus and at Global or if this is kind of all we're going to hear in terms of management structural changes. I do know that the last time I checked, Chorus had not internally addressed the allegations or address the investigation at all. And that when Jill announced her resignation, they gave her this really glowing write-up. You know, they said that she was a caring mentor. They talked about her storied career in journalism. So there was certainly no acknowledgement of any allegations about her behavior. I mean, this is all about as clear as mud. People listening outside of BC, Global News is the big news source in British Columbia. And Jill Krupp is an on-air personality. She's very well known and she's got a lot of support. The incident that you refer to is itself controversial because some people argue that Jill Krupp was doing the right thing, that Mo came on the show, he overheard a member making a blackface joke, and then he brings it up as I think was like... You know, he was brought on to talk about Trudeau's blackface incident. He overhears somebody making a blackface joke at Global. Why should he let that go by? And they scrap the interview. I don't know if Jill Crop was responsible for that because that because there's no transparency there. So what do they do? They have a follow up where she has a conversation with Mo. And there, I got to tell you, it's a bit ambiguous to me. I think that having that conversation was maybe a good thing to do. Better than spiking a segment, you know. And then when she says you haven't accepted our apologies, that's a statement of fact. He hasn't. So you get into this level of like, is she guilting him over that or is she merely stating the fact? And when she says, what, what should we do? You could read that as her earnestly asking, well, what, what should we do? Maybe we're not good at this. Uh, maybe you know more than we do. What should we do? You obviously felt like it was there, there was a tone of almost like a whiny, like, what, what more do you want from us here? And all of this happened a year ago. And then the connection to this most recent thing, if we're going to sort through this stuff, I think we just need to know what happened. Yeah, I mean, 
you know, going back to your characterizations of Jill's comments as, you know, potentially being earnest and this and that, I think Mo himself wrote a really great thread on Twitter about recently about sort of how he felt about the whole situation. And he also did a couple pieces for the Georgia Strait where he explains why he felt some of her responses to him were problematic mm-hmm. and why he felt like as a POC, he felt like he was sort of being you know, put on the spot. And again, you know, in general, when you when you sort of ask us, well, what's your idea for solving it? You you're burdening POC yet again, when we are sort of the ones that are are raising problems, you know, in the first place. And then this onus comes back to us to also find the solutions. Yeah. And I will say that, I, you know, my larger sort of criticism with Canadian media is I think that if I had written this story in the U.S. For, about CBS or something like that, I think it would have gotten aggregated. I think it would have gotten picked up by other media. I think that more journalists would have been amplifying it. I think here we have this tradition of you know not calling out the media. It's a very insular. And you know, even amongst my friends, many of whom are journalists, I'll get the DMs and I'll get text messages saying, hey, great job, amazing investigation. There's a hesitance to promote that work, though. There is a hesitance to do much more than a retweet. And that's frustrating, you know, because if you look at the people who are really calling this out right now, it's been a lot of women of color who have been putting their asses on the line to call out this industry, you know, taking huge risks at potentially never being hired in certain places again. And so I think that if we really want to change things and we want to apply pressure, other media outlets, other journalists need to start incurring some of those risks as well and and applying that pressure. That's a really good point. And I hope people don't hear it in terms of, oh, more people should have paid attention to my story, because I think you report something and you work your ass off and you're protecting sources, you know more than you can say, and you're breaking a story. And then- The reason why it's important that people pick it up and discuss it and debate it is because that's the rattling of the tree that's going to shake out the facts and the truth. And if more people write about it and other people try to defend themselves and other people try to get more information, we will ultimately know what happens. But because there still is this really entrenched secrecy in Canada, the story just sort of sits there. Everybody reads it. Some people dare to like it or retweet it, but it doesn't get further than that. And then it's possible to say, well, you know, not every connection was fully explicated in that story. We don't, you know, you're coming up against this corporate wall of like, we're not going to tell you anything, even after making promises about doing better and more transparency and whatnot. And it makes it easier to kind of move on without changing anything. I mean, that's why discussion is so important. And Manisha, you were singled out by a global news executive, uh, Troy Reeb, who I believe his title is... uh, executive vice president of broadcast networks he like wrote an email to your boss yeah he told on me to my white boss uh (laughs) man to man accusing you of being unable to report this objectively because you're because you're friends with a couple of people who are involved and and because you've criticized global news stories on twitter who hasn't (laughs) it's idiotic to say that only people who don't have personal connections can report on the canadian media because it's an incredibly small industry where we all know each other, it was low. 
Yeah, you know, that tactic, I mean, once again, Troy Reeb is the one who originally during the layoff said we're shifting towards objective, fact-based journalism. And that was sort of the argument that he tried to use to discredit me was that I'm not objective. I think that that argument can be applied in a very racist way because as POC, we're told that, oh, you can't be objective on issues of race. You've got an ax to grind. You know, the, the piece that I had criticized was that George Floyd protest piece that Global itself unpublished because yeah. they said it didn't meet their editorial standards. I'm curious if someone like Justin Ling would have gotten this type of an email when he does an investigation or, or even yourself, Jesse, because you often express points of view and opinions, but you also do investigative work. And for the record, the disclosures, I was going to disclose anything that needed to be disclosed either way, whether or not Troy sent me that email. But I do think it is sort of a, a microcosm for this bigger issue and bigger discussion we're having on objectivity and, you know, objectivity often being a euphemism for a white male lens. Manisha, that's our Canada Land Shortcuts for this week. Thank you. Thank you. Oh, I'm fired up now. <laughs> <laughs> then we did good. Uh, everybody, you can email me at jesse at canadalandshow.com. I read everything you send. We're on Twitter at Canada Land. Manisha, where can people find you? At Manisha Krishnan on Twitter. Our website is canadalandshow.com. This episode is produced by Tiffany Lamb. Our managing editor is Andrea Schmidt. Syndication is by CFUV 101.9 FM in Victoria. You can visit them online at cfuv.ca. If you like what we do, please support us. Go to canadalandshow.com slash join. Hey, I need you to pay close attention to this message. It is not an ad. This is about Canada Land, and this is about you. You need to know that the news crisis is about to get a lot worse. You've heard about the layoffs. We're about to have news closures, and it's very likely that we're going to be seeing the defunding of the CBC. Where are you going to get your information from? What can you do about this? You can support Canada Land. We need you to. And so for this month and this month only, you can become a Canada Land supporter and get everything our supporters get for just $2 a month. That is an almost 80% discount. The clock is ticking on this. It disappears at the end of the month, and then we will not offer it. We need your support. We need to keep news coverage alive in Canada. Go right now to canadaland.com slash join. And thank you. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. A couple of years ago, a cop was shot dead on a deserted pier in the tiny nation of Belize. The only other person there that night was a frightened young woman found covered in blood. By all appearances, it was an open and shut case. But not in Belize, where this woman was connected to a mysterious billionaire who basically runs the place. Justice will not be served in this case. She's gonna get away with it. Or will she? White Devil, 
A Campside Media Original. Listen wherever you get your podcasts.